You know, how do we find peace in uncertain times? How do we anchor ourselves into some kind of process or, or some kind of tools to handle the challenges around us? I want to share today a verse that's been so meaningful to me through many, many stages in my life. It helped me during a long bout of sickness, our first couple years of marriage. It helped me. I came back to reading this verse and holding my Bible open when I lost both my grandmothers within like two weeks of each other, just dealing with the grief. I remember coming back to this passage when I found out that my son was born legally blind, and then again when I found out he had autism. When I got a phone call and found out my older son had a car accident, I went back to this passage. So God has used this passage like a, like a friend, kind of walk through the different seasons of life with me to realign me when I really was feeling doubt or struggle or challenge. It's interesting, it opens up, it's Psalm 73, it opens up speaking of a psalm from Asaph. And Asaph says, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. He's like, you know what, I know God's good. I know it's a good thing when you're pure in heart, you do the right thing, God honors that. But, and here's the big but, we all want to know God is good. We all, all want to know he does reward us when we're pure in heart. But as for me, there was a season, there was a time that I struggled with that. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He's saying, I almost came to a place I gave up the faith or I gave up God or I just pushed God away. My feet slipped. I started to not necessarily believe God is good anymore because of the circumstance I was going through. I started to believe I'm not sure God can be trusted because of what I went through. I'm not sure God rewards people. I remember one of the first times um, I met my friend Steve. I was in a small group and somebody brought an article from Cincinnati Magazine called Help Me God, I'm an Agnostic. And Steve just laid out a whole series of great arguments on why the God of the Bible didn't seem believable. He liked Jesus but the whole God ordaining evil many times in the Old Testament was his take. He had questions about whether or not the Bible was reliable. Can you trust a God who lets sickness come to young children? I remember reading that article and thinking, I really like this guy. I like his writing style and I think he's bringing up some really great questions. So I remember calling him up and saying, hey, would you love to, gr to grab lunch? He's like, you're a pastor and you wanna grab lunch. Yeah, I read your article. I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was well-written. I thought you brought up a lot of great questions. Why don't we go grab some lunch and talk about it? So I'd never met Steve before that day, but we sat across from each other, and we just had an engaging two-hour conversation about the struggles of evil in the world, why good things happen to bad people, why bad things happen to good people. And we just talked through a lot of that stuff. And he said, you know, a lot of pastors sent me hate mail or Christian sent me hate mail, but nobody invited me to lunch to have a chat. And I think as you go through challenging times, there's both an intellectual journey and an emotional journey when you face adversity and challenge. So I wanna to quickly touch on the intellectual one, and then I wanna to touch on an emotional journey that has helped me from this passage over the years to keep my feet from slipping. One thing intellectually that can be helpful is understanding the problem of evil. What do I mean by that? Here's kind of all the different views on evil summed up in four statements. So as you think like why the coronavirus, 
Why am I going through these financial challenges? Why am I having to make these tough decisions? Why, why, why? We all have those questions. It's perfectly legitimate. Asaph had them. But think, these are your four choices. Either suffering is your fault, and that's karma, which means everyone who's getting this disease or dying from this disease, it's because they're being punished from their previous life. Now, Jesus rejects this view multiple times in the Bible. We, we do not, as Christians, submit to the doctrine of karma. Many times, the Bible says you live in a broken world, bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. So the Christianity does not adhere to number one, that suffering is always your fault. Now, in Buddhism, suffering is always an illusion. This is a dream world. If you could just realize that your suffering is caused by your cravings and you realize that this whole world doesn't even exist, it's a dream, it's all an illusion. Now, that is a philosophical answer to the problem of evil. It doesn't satisfy me. Nor does your fault. That doesn't ring true in my head or my heart. Three, suffering is normal. Atheism says, to quote Richard Dawkins, DNA neither knows nor cares and we dance to its music. There's just gonna be times in a DNA, God left, God's not even in the building, God didn't start this whole thing, and since DNA neither knows nor cares, of course there's gonna be viruses, and of course innocent people are gonna die. Just get used to it, it's normal. But does it feel normal? It doesn't. All through history, you feel it in your own heart. Things shouldn't be this way, as if you're comparing this broken world with its broken components to some other world that you've never seen, but you wish was true. The Bible says that suffering is caused by a broken creation. Sometimes I do dumb things and I suffer because of it, because I'm broken. Sometimes, though, I didn't do anything wrong. Somebody else is broken, a drunk driver, and I suffer because it's broken. The whole creation is broken, so there's tornadoes, there's viruses, there's hurricanes. Not anyone's fault. But all of creation, Romans tells us, longs for to be put back together because it's out of sync with God. So all the different religions and all the different philosophies, here's your basic four options when it comes to suffering. And the Bible has the most satisfying answer. Frustrating, but much more satisfying than the alternatives. The Bible also talks about, or philosophy talks about, four different solutions. There are four different solutions to the problem of evil. When will suffering be solved? Well, four options. Not ever. Again, atheism teaches Evil is not going to ultimately be judged, and good is not ultimately going to be rewarded. So a lot of people say, hey, I gave up on God and the God of the Bible because of the problem of evil, and I became an atheist. I'm like, really? Because the answer to suffering if you're an atheist is not ever. Now, the other option is not again. Hinduism teaches that suffering is dealt with through the process of karma, through birth and rebirth, not again, yep, again, through millions and even billions of, of traveling around the reincarnation wheel, it will crush you for what you did in your past life and elevate you for good things in the previous life until ultimately suffering is crushed. So if you want to know how suffering is going to be dealt with, millions and millions of reincarnations, you're going to keep suffering, keep suffering, keep suffering, and eventually it's going to clear out the system. Not again, well, again, again. Buddhism again teaches suffering isn't real, it's caused by your cravings. It's not really even happening. So suffering will be solved. Not really. Uh, it's not really anything to be solved except stop thinking it's real. And here's the Bible's answer. Suffering will be solved not yet. Now that's frustrating. Why is this going on? Why now? Why my job? Why my family? 
The Bible gives you freedom to be angry and to beat on God's chest as Asaph does. But keep in mind that not yet is far more intellectually satisfying as an answer to the problem of evil than not ever. God will eventually reward all good doers. God will eventually let you reap what you've sown in due time. God will eventually hold evil people to account. And in the meantime, he's working in the midst of and he's available to you and I during the not yet moments. I remember as our friendship grew, Steve and I chatted. And several years later as we talked, I said, well, where are you kind of at in your journey? He says, well, I'm no longer an agnostic. I've kind of moved to atheism. And I said, really? I said, have you kind of come to grips with that evil and suffering, which is your major argument, is not ever going to be answered? He said, you know, I have. And I respected him for it. I didn't agree with it. I said, if you had so much emotional energy behind that question, how could you be satisfied with that answer? But at least he was intellectually honest that atheism does not give you a good answer to the problem of evil. Christianity offers one, even though it's frustrating because it's not yet. So whether you're struggling with the intellectual problem of evil or whether you're struggling with the emotional issue, I want to walk through some stages you can go through to emotionally process and kind of think through, process through, and understand the problem of evil in your own life. Here are the four stages, or five stages rather. First one we're to look at is burn. When you go through difficult times, there's going to be a burn stage. And that burn stage is, oh, I'm angry that this is happening. And Asaph has that. I was envious of the boastful. Boastful, arrogant people, I was envy. They seemed everything went right for them. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, why do wicked people prosper? It's just so frustrating. In fact, there were no pangs in their death. They even died well. All the rest of us died and it was painful and difficult. Not them. Wicked people. It's like, they seem to die in perfect death. But their strength is firm. Now obviously you can already see that as he's angry, he's exaggerating the truth, right? This isn't exactly true. But that's what happens. When you get angry, things get distorted. But God allows us to be angry, to be upset, to be bothered by this stuff. I think one of the things I love about God is I love the way that he allows us to struggle to be angry. In fact, the Bible says, be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. But God lets you pound on his chest. I don't understand this. I don't like this. I don't prefer this. There's been times in my life where I went through that burn stage. I mentioned several of those. One of those, my first couple years of marriage, there's a lot of sickness going on in our family. I remember walking along the, the beach at Lake Michigan. I remember this storm going around, just loud storm. I was the only one on the beach that day, and I remember just yelling. I mean, walking along the sand, darkness, lightning all over the place, wasn't safe at all. I'm like, God, why are you letting this happen? God, this isn't fair. God, this isn't right. God, this is wrong. Just yelling out into the sky. And the grace of God, the message of the Bible, that God has forgiven you, of everything you've ever done, past, present, future, and that you're living in a broken war zone of a world, allows you the freedom to burn, to be angry, to be frustrated, to be annoyed in the middle of those circumstances. So I don't know where you are in this whole coronavirus thing, but there's pockets of anger at so many different levels. It's okay to burn It's okay to even say some exaggerated things. Those wicked people, they don't even feel pain when they die. God can take it, burn, 
with him, wrestle with him. The second stage is, is to churn. What do I mean by that? Well, churn. The churn stage is that process that you kind of let, you're not even sure what you feel. There's so much stuff coming in and around you. You just kind of, as you're praying, as you're talking, as you're journaling, as you're thinking, you kind of put it on the page. And you move from just anger to now, like there's some fear here, there's a little bit of hope there, back to anger, back to frustration, back to disappointment. You just churn. And, And look at all the churning going on here. They are not in trouble, the wicked people, as other people are. They never have trouble in their life, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Look at me. I don't trust in God. I got a necklace for it. You're wearing a cross. Ha! I got a pride necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. They're always doing the wrong thing. Their eyes bulge with abundance. This is the idea that the good things happen to bad people. They got so much abundance, their eyes are bulging with how much good stuff's happening to them. They have more than their heart could ever wish. Everything they want happens. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Look at me. Look at all the things he's feeling and churning and going around in. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. So they don't even acknowledge God. They don't even talk to God. And they seem to have everything go well. And here I am trying to do stuff and I'm getting bad circumstances. It's so unfair. You ever been there? That churning process, that anger process, that I'm not sure what exactly I feel, but man, I'm feeling a lot of stuff. What do we do when you're in the churn phase? One of the reasons the Bible put this letter in the Bible is to say it's okay to pour out, to churn out your feelings in prayer with God. God can take it and you and I need it. We need to get that stuff out with all the different changes that have occurred in the last few weeks, in the last few months, there is so much emotion, so many different feelings churning in us we need to deal with. If I don't know if you remember, um, I remember when I was in elementary school, on Thanksgiving, they would actually take some, some heavy whipped cream and they would pass it around. They put it in a little container and they'd pass it around the class. And so we had to shake it for a while. When our hand got tired, we'd hand it to somebody else and they would shake it for a while. And hand somebody else, they'd shake it for a while. And all day long, we would shake or churn this, this heavy whipping cream. And they had described how back in the day, when you wanted to make butter, you would take heavy whipping cream and you would churn it up and down, churn it up and down. And through that churning process, it would thicken. And it would go from being you know, more like liquid to more like solid. Well, I thought that was ridiculous. But sure enough, all day long in preparation for our Thanksgiving uh, feast that day in like fifth grade, we were shaking, shaking, churning, 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 churning. And sure enough, that heavy whipping cream went from a liquid to a solid. It turned into butter. When you churn by yourself, all those worries, all those anxieties, it thickens. It thickens your mind. It thickens your soul. It just clogs everything. It turns liquid into butter. But when you churn with God, you throw it all on God. His shoulders can take it. He can handle all of that. So so churn, but in God's presence. This guy says, God, God, I didn't, I wanted to believe you were good, but didn't look like you were good, but at least I was churning with you. And God wants us to do the same for him. In fact, when you're in that process, churning can also be something people say about about uh, water, right? The churning waves going up and down. 
I remember growing up in the Illinois River. I just learned how to water ski. And I'm water skiing one day, and my dad is driving the boat. And I don't even know how this is possible, to be honest. But as we're driving around, or he's coming around the bend of the Illinois River, he turns this corner, and we must have had a really long rope because I'm skiing behind him, and all of a sudden, this gigantic, I mean massive boat, is coming toward us the opposite direction, like the size of a Carnival cruise line. Not really, but it seemed huge. It seemed to take up the entire river that day. How in the world this gigantic barge of a boat surprised us, I don't know. I just know I'm back there skiing. We turn the corner. We come around the bend and all of a sudden, my dad's still pulling, ropes coming right at me to ski and there is these tidal waves churning around me. I mean, we're not talking about two feet, three feet. I'm talking like six to 10 foot waves on the Illinois River, which is about the same size as the Ohio. And I'm panicked. I'm panicked because every one of my aunts used to tell me about all the relatives and everybody they knew who got sucked under a barge. And I'm holding on to that rope and I'm thinking, what am I gonna do? The one thing I knew is the only chance I had was to keep the rope tight. Because if I let go, I had no propulsion, no ability to steer. The problem is the wave was so high, I couldn't even see the boat. Like I'm holding onto this rope and it's like the rope goes directly into a wave. And I'm going up and down. Every once in a while, I would just see the boat for a second. Oh, there it is. And my mom is like, you know, buys are this big. My dad's like, hold on, hold on. And sometimes when you're in the churning waters of difficulty and the unexpected came around the corner and shocked you, the only thing you can do is say, even when I can see God or get a glimpse of God or I don't even see him at all, keep holding the rope. Keep holding on. God's gonna get you through this. Just don't let go of the rope. If you don't have the rope, you don't have access to his strength. You don't have access to his power. You don't have access to his presence. Hold on to the rope even during those churning times. So first two stages, burn, give God your anger, churn, feel free to work it out with God in journal and dialoguing with him. Third stage, what's our third stage? Well, the third stage moved from churn to yearn. There are times that this world is gonna disappoint you and I. It is. It's gonna disappoint us because this world is eventually going to disappoint you. And right now we're going through a huge time of disappointment that all the things that we thought were certain we could anchor ourselves to have fallen apart. And we're yearning for a world that's, that's anchorable. We're yearning for something that, that you can pound your stakes into. We're yearning for something where a world where, where bad things don't happen to good people. And that's what we see here very clearly coming out of, of Avesov. He says, therefore, after all that churning, his people, in contrast to the wicked people, return here. They're coming to this place he's going to process. And waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Does God not know what's going on? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Does God care? Is he thinking about us? Is he processing this? Is he going through any of this stuff? Right? Behold, these are the ungodly. They're always at ease. I want to be at ease. I'm yearning for a world I can be at ease. It's like I'm not made for this world. They increase in riches. And since that's true, doing the wrong thing has rewarded them, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. 
Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt like doing the right thing doesn't pay off? God's not coming through. God's not doing his part. Surely I washed my hands in vain. Surely I cleansed my heart in vain. What good is being a Christian? What good is following God? No. That's where he's at. He's yearning for God, but frustrated that the God he wants, the plan he wants, the world he wants doesn't seem to exist. God lets us yearn. He really does. He lets us yearn in so many different ways. In fact, as he continues to process with God, here's what he says. For all day long, I have been plagued. Bad stuff happens to me. I'm chastened every morning. Sounds like every morning God gets up. Let me whip you again, whip you again. More bad news. Every morning I get chastened. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue. When I thought how to understand all of this, all the good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, it was too painful for me. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. I don't want this. I'm yearning for something different. I want something more. C.S. Lewis has two books that's helpful when you're going through challenges. Intellectually, he's got a book called The Problem of Pain. Emotionally, he's got one called Grief Observed. But he talks about how problems and challenges and difficulty bring out longings in you, yearnings. He said, just like a fish doesn't know he's in water, human beings seem to not be comfortable in their environment. It's like we don't belong here in a world with death and Alzheimer's and viruses and pain. And C.S. Lewis says, if you find in yourself a longing that nothing in this world can satisfy, then perhaps you were made for another world. If you were made in this world and you've tried it all and none of it satisfied, perhaps you're yearning for something Another world that you can't see but you can feel. A world with no pain and no agony, with good people are always rewarded and bad people are always punished. We've done so many funerals in this place over the years. And almost every time, every time I do a funeral, I end up in tears watching a widow or a son, a father. And every time as I walk with the family, there's a, there's a feeling, no matter whether you're religious or not, in this room. And it's just not supposed to be this way. I wasn't supposed to lose my son. Fathers are not supposed to outlove, outlive their, their sons or daughters. Or life shouldn't have taken grandma so soon. I had a whole more decade with her. That idea, that feeling, that yearning, that longing is exactly what the Bible says is true. We were made for a world with no death and no pain back in Eden. And something happened in our world, the one we're living in right now with corruption and viruses and betrayal and drunk drivers and everything else, it's broken. And we recognize that. We yearn. We yearn for that, that world that once was. And the Bible says in Revelations, it will come again. It will come again. And that longing you have, even if you've never studied the Bible or don't know much about the Bible, that longing that's placed in you is exactly what God's placed in you because you long for the world that was and the world that is to come. 
fact, maybe say, I'd love to know more about that, Chad, <laughs> that longing. What, what is that world like? And one of the resources we're making available at Horizon is through our app, just ways you can go back to previous series that we've done before. You get on our app, go to the keyword on past messages, search Phoenix Rising. It was a verse-by-verse series I did in the book of Job. If you want to really wrestle through some of these issues like Job did. Or maybe you want to go to a series that we did that really helped find hope in the middle of that. We did a series on the book of Revelation when God finally does put all the pieces back together again. Again, go to our keyword. You click on the end of the world as we know it and it will pull up Revelation or just type in Revelation. Or in our app, click on uh, book by book and you can go directly to the book of Revelation. I did like 18 uh, messages um, our team did back right before we moved into this building. We talked about in light of what God's gonna do in the future, what do we need to know n- to do and what we need to know now. So again, use those resources. But again, God is God's reaching out for you and I. That yearning in us is God saying, I'm asking you to find in you what this world will never satisfy so you can find me. And that's the yearn stage. The next is the turn stage. There comes a moment, and like I said, I've been through this passage so many times in my life where I felt like what God was doing was unfair. Every time I had to come to a new turning point where I turn back to God. And that's what Asaph does. Until... I felt all that until I went into the sanctuary of God. I came into God's presence. I began to pray and talk to God. Then I understood their end. Wickedness, not yet, but they will eventually be punished. Right? So he's frustrated with the not yet, but he's like, you know what? Not yet, it's a whole lot better than not ever. Then when I turned it over to God, when I saw things in light of his perspective, I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. And it's then he begins to learn. And I think when you take that turning point of turning from thinking my own way with my own exaggeration, this is all true, and I instead turn to God and say, God, I want your perspective on this. I want you to help me understand this. I want you to help me process this. It's then we're able to to learn. Now, that's hard. It's hard to make those turning points. It's hard to get from the turn to the learn stage. In fact, growing up in church, there was uh, several songs that were very helpful. One of the songs has an incredible story behind it. We used to open our hymnal back in the day, and you know, they seemed like just kind of boring church songs. But when you hear the story behind it, all of a sudden it becomes very real. In the 1860s, there was, a, there was a lawyer living in Chicago, doing very well for himself. He had incredible investments. And as he was being very, very successful, he was a Christian, a follower of God, a follower of Jesus. He had a family of five. He had a son, four daughters, beautiful wife. And all of a sudden, his wife and he faced the tragedy of losing their son at age four. And just wrestling with God, why in the world would God let this happen? God, you could take anything else but not my children. But things went from bad to worse. Because all of a sudden the Chicago fire hit. When that Chicago fire came through, it literally bankrupted him, destroyed all of his investments, literally overnight. And he was beside himself. But at least in the middle of that, he said, well, at least I still have my family. At least my wife my four daughters. So because of all the commotion and all the panic and all the heartache, he decided to send them on a cruise. They were all going to go together. 
over to England and travel around with a guy named D.L. Moody who was speaking and teaching about God's promises. While they're heading over to England, he had a last-minute business deal, and they said, no, 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 we won't go without you. He said, I'll be on the next boat. So he sent his wife and his four daughters across the boat, across the ocean. They're getting across the Atlantic, and about halfway across the Atlantic, there was the worst shipwreck at that time in human history. It was the worst until the Titanic. 226 people died that day on that boat. He would get a telegram from his wife that simply said, Only I survived. What should I do? And in that moment, having lost his son, having lost all his investments, having lost all of his little girls, he was devastated. Devastated. He got on a boat and traveled over to meet his wife. As he traveled across the ocean, he stopped at about the point he heard that that accident had occurred. And it was at that location he went out and just wrestled with God, prayed with God right over that spot that somewhere down in those waters he lost his four daughters. In the middle of all that struggle and all that challenge and all that pain, he wrote these words. To a hymn you may have heard growing up. Imagine this man sitting over the spot after everything God had done. Hear the words he wrote. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul It is well with my soul. Now you talk about a turning point. I sang that song in church like, oh, it's well, it's well, okay, let's get on with it. I had no idea this was a real story of a real man who turned to God in the midst of the worst of circumstances. I don't know what your circumstances are. But there is a long history of people who found God in their deepest, darkest moments. They turn to him and they learn that God has some some resources available to you during times of challenge. That's where this passage ends. It ends with really what our vision has been as a church. How do we help you find God in the midst of your circumstances? And right now we're having to do that in a very strange way. right? With our our services all closed down, uh, live, we have to do online services. And in doing that, we want to f- help you and help your friends be able to invite God into those moments in life. We're going to do that every week with the on-demand services. They come on every weekend. You can watch it whenever you want. You can forward it on the app, watch it on our website, whatever works for you. Our pastoral team and all of our small group leaders and others, they're going to try and make personal care calls to as many as we can. We want to get everybody if we can, but we're going to try and make personal calls, check on you. If you want a call like that, email us at the office. If you want somebody to call and check on you, pray for you. Maybe your small group can't meet uh, physically during this time. You want to FaceTime each other. Or you want to conference call each other. Let's reach out and help each other during this challenging time. If you want to stay connected to the church, sign up for our, our e-newsletter, and then use our app. Go back through previous messages Go to our book-by-book series and learn or teach or, 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 or hear instruction from God through entire books of the Bible. 
Make this a time that you draw close to God. And if this message has been helpful, or if this song is helpful, just get on the app and hit the forward button. Forward to somebody else. Look for ways that you can help people processing and trying to find God during this time. That's what we're about as a church. If you want to be part of that, let us know how, how we can serve you during this time. If financially you want to be part of that, helping us keep the app up and look for the different resources going on and the people asking for benevolence or helping out with inter-parish ministries or city gospel, just pray and ask God, God, how can I join you in what you're doing with so many hurting people? I hope that means giving to Horizon financially so we can give to other people. I hope that means looking for opportunities all around you that you can serve God. I don't know what it looks like. But I want to pray that God will step into whatever stage you're in and meet you where you are. Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you that you are the strength of our heart. And when we are failing, when our heart and our flesh is weak, it's then that we reach out to you. And whether we haven't reached out in a while or whether we've been reaching out a lot, Father, your hand is there. And you want to strengthen us and empower us and help us during this time. God, teach us as a church how we can lead and guide and direct people during this challenging time, Father. Show us how we can turn people towards you that they would find the strength that sustains them when they are weak. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. We'll see you again next week.